Today I'm speaking with Neri Neifchoma. Based in Silicon Valley, California, Neri, she, her, is a mother, veteran childbirth educator, birth doula and doula trainer, and the founder of Birth Coach Method. Neri is celebrating 20 years of leadership in the field of childbirth support after serendipitously finding her way from academia to the world of birth in her native Israel soon after the birth of her first baby. Throughout her career, she's been honoured to provide doula support and teach childbirth education classes to hundreds of expectant couples, as well as to direct and manage programs at two birth resource centres. Neri's work with parents has been enriched by continuing her education and becoming a transformational life coach, hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner. She has integrated principles and strategies of all these modalities of care into birth support and shared it worldwide with birth support professionals in her book, The Art of Coaching for Childbirth. Neri leads the international community of transformational birth support coaches who enroll in her membership program, and she has students all over the world. You can, can, I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation, and you can connect with Neri via the links in the show notes. Welcome to the Whole Doula Podcast. The Whole Doula Podcast is a conversation space for doulas and birth workers to talk about the diverse paths that led them to birth work as well as the diverse and unique skills, interests and offerings they bring to their birthkeeping roles. Here I dive into conversations with others who may be wondering how to bring the different aspects and experiences of their own lives into their roles as doulas in business. After all, there is more than one way to doula and I'd love to help others see the connections between all the different parts of themselves to see themselves as a whole doula. I am your host, Mary Giordano, doula, birth educator, counsellor and doula business mentor and this is the Whole Dollar Podcast. I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you so much for joining me, Neri, on the Whole Dollar Podcast. Of course. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So maybe you can just start by introducing yourself with how do you refer to yourself, if you refer to yourself as a dollar or if you have a different title and, and who you are in the birth landscape. I am a seasoned doula and childbirth educator and a doula trainer. I am also the founder of Birth Coach Method and the author of The Art of Coaching for Childbirth, which is a new framework to support birth givers and new parents integrating transformational coaching into the field of birth support. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I'll come back to that in a little while to ask you some more about that. And I'd I'd like to know how you came into the world of birth to start with. What sort of brought you to this area of work where you've been quite a number of years already? (laughs) I think that it's similar to many doulas because I'm a doula trainer and I love talking to my students, like kind of like having a one-on-one discussion with them before they join the program. And I know that so many of us came to the field following our own experiences. Mm-hmm. My first birth, when I gave birth to my oldest one, like 28 years ago, I thought that it was a terrific birth because I didn't need a cesarean. I didn't need any medical interventions. I gave birth at a birth center. I mean, like everything was checked. All the boxes were checked, everything that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And it was surprising to me to discover Less than two years after, you know, like when I was already pregnant with my second one and nearing my second birth, it was very surprising for me to discover that there was a trauma that I didn't even acknowledge. No one did, Mm -hmm. including myself. 
And the way that I found out about this is that I started having panic attacks mm-hmm. uh, when I was thinking about my nearing birth. And that was very, very surprising to me because, you know, I was thinking I'm functioning well. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was any trauma there. And so I asked my best friend at that time. She was doing Reiki and back flowers and some massages techniques. So I was like, she was my best friend from elementary school and she lived nearby. And I said, well, how how would you feel joining us for the birth? And we didn't know the word doula. There mm-hmm. was no word doula, no in the, not in the dictionary, definitely not in Israel. Mm-hmm. And she said, really? And I said, yes, you know, I just like, I kind of feel like I want you with me. You've been taking such good care of me during this pregnancy, nurturing me, you know, empowering me as a woman, as a birth giver. And I feel like I want you there. And I invited her to join me and my partner. And it was at the same birth center and this birth was miraculous. And of course, you know, being a birth professional, I know that the second birth of a mother is usually the fastest one. And it's definitely a different experience than the first one that takes time. But it was miraculous in so many aspects. And not even that got me into being a doula. What actually got me into being a doula is... The look at my husband's face after my friend left the room, going back to her kids that she wanted to go and send to school. And he was looking at me and he said, what the heck were we thinking the first time? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, in all honesty, I don't think this is a man's job. I mean, I love you dearly. I want to have the baby with you. I want to be here for you, but I cannot do what she did. Mm. Oh my God. She wasn't even a doula. Mm. Did you ask him what was it that she did? Was was he able to articulate that or have you spoken about it over the years? We spoke about it. He said that there is something that goes without words. Mm. Just the fact that there is another woman that her touch is different than his, that her reading of my body and my needs is very different than his, that he Mm -hmm. doesn't know how to really relate to the sensations like she was relating to the sensations and Mm. understanding them. And it felt like she was all the time one step ahead of him in Mm -hmm. terms of understanding what's going on Mm -hmm. and what I need. Anticipating your needs. Yeah. 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 And and when I came back home, when I was released with my baby going back home, of course, the first thing was my my friend, my dear friend came to visit. And it was just like we looked at each other and it's almost like we knew this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. You know, we didn't we didn't have the word. We didn't know the name. We just knew right from looking at each other's eyes. We knew that oh, this is what we want to do. I was on my way to my Ph.D., by the way, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like I left the academic world. I left everything just pursuing this presence. I call it presence because th- I think it is just mm. really a presence on earth in our mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky <laughs> to find an Orthodox Jewish woman who was from Kansas. She didn't speak Hebrew at all. She spoke English only. And she was practicing within the Orthodox Jewish community in Jerusalem. 
And she was associated with the same birth center where I gave birth. And somehow it came to my awareness that she was actually leading the first course and program in the birth center in Jerusalem, but she didn't call it doula yet. So the Mm -hmm. word was not there yet. She called it childbirth assistant. Mm -hmm. And it was a year long program. And we had to give 100 hours of shifts in labor and delivery, supporting birth givers side by side with midwives, because in Israel, we have only midwives and not L&D nurses, like in the United States. And even though I was a mother of two babies, by the way, I had a baby that was two years old and then newborn, and I was still nursing. And I just, you know, I drove to Jerusalem to this program. I knew I I had to do it. I just knew that was my calling. I had to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm, there's a lot there to unpack. That's really a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing. And we're both, by the way, doula trainers. She's also doing this in Israel. Mm. This is the friend who attended your birth, you mean? She's also- yes. Okay. So are you business partners or are you just, you have no, your own No, not at yeah. all because yeah. I'm practicing here in California. She's in Israel. It's so far away, mm-hmm. but we're soul sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so beautiful. I love how you talked about just the presence and the simple presence and how she was able to anticipate your needs just perhaps more instinctively and more um, effectively yeah. than your partner. And I see that a lot as well in, in births. I'm really mindful when I'm attending births to make sure that the partners that I'm supporting are also empowered and, and feeling that they have a role and, and so forth. Yeah. But there's something women often say to me that there's something about the touch that I provide that's just different or there's just something about it. And it's such a simple presence for me. And I often feel like I'm not doing much at all, but it's so meaningful to them. And mm-hmm. there's, I think, um, as you said, most of us in this work have had a calling of some kind. And so we're hopefully working in a really strong alignment, I guess, with something else that's greater than us even, which makes yeah. it useful for us to just show up and be present and just through our presence offer so much comfort and reassurance for family. It's it's hard to actually put words to sometimes. It's so hard. Um, There were many things. I I was really fortunate, really, Mary. I was so fortunate that my teacher, my trainer, was an Orthodox Jewish woman who knew so much about Judaism and the Torah and the Bible relating to birth. Mm -hmm. And... She taught me such juicy things about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I get a chance to talk about it in my doula trainings because I never know how people will connect to this. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that, I mean, both of us using the word presence many times, right? Being Mm -hmm. present for someone else and this presence of doulas. And I remember her saying at the very beginning of the first lesson, she said she was introducing actually the word doula. For the first time I heard it. And she said, so a doula is the Greek word for a woman who serves. And I have a question for all of you. Who do we serve? And it was so clear to all of us. Oh, what do you mean? We serve the birthing mom and her partner. And she said, "Mm -mm. no, that's not who we serve. We serve the presence. Mm. Okay. It's and I'm not a religious person at all. I'm not going to synagogue even. I mean, my synagogue is a labor and delivery, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it stuck with me. 
-hmm. it just it stayed with me you know and when I teach I tell my students the most important thing is not if you remembered this item or this little item or maybe you forgot about some position that would have been or could have been really meaningful in helping in this moment but it's not about it it's about your presence mm-hmm. so your friend said that we are here to serve the presence i'm just wondering if the interpretation that you understood of that is that we are just trying to sort of understand that in my mind and wondering if it means that we are serving what is or serving what the story unfolding story is and being present for sort of that and helping to bring the family's awareness to what their unfolding story is and surrendering to that rather than controlling that it can be that but it's also can be the fact that we are serving a higher purpose mhm yeah something that is higher than those hands on with the massage technique mhm something that is a lot higher than that mm yeah um it's a moment of creation mhm new life is coming to the world there must be something that is higher than just us mm. you know i that's how i took it yeah yeah that's I've never sort of thought of it in that term before we're here to serve the presence but in terms of there being something higher than us I very much agree with that and I've been feeling more and more into that particularly in the last 12 months and I sort of understand that there's a higher power of some nature that's orchestrating things and to me that is a sign that I'm on the right path because mm-hmm. even things this something quite peculiar happened I was at a birth the night before last and it was a woman whose water had ruptured 6 days earlier so it was quite unusual for her to have had such a, a prolonged time of ruptured membranes and there was pressure for induction and all sorts of things anyway eventually she went into labor and as you know when you're on call for a birth and somebody's in early labor or they've ruptured their membranes and we're sort of on the edge ready to go for days and nights and and looking at our calendars and what's on tomorrow and what do I need to change and and I always just sort of play it one day at a time because we never know when birth will actually unfold and so I just wait until the day but when it became clear to me you know I dealt with Friday's appointments and Mondays and Tuesdays and mm-hmm. when it became clear that birth was actually happening and I realized I've got two podcast conversations recorded uh, booked in for the following day and I thought I've got to postpone them and within half an hour those two people actually cancelled their own um, bookings and booked on different dates and I had didn't have to do anything and I just thought you see wow it's just it and it happens all the time all of these little things and it, and it, to me it's just this big sign that's like yeah somebody else is looking after this you don't have to worry absolutely absolutely all those years i've been doing it for 24 years i've been asking myself how is it that when my girls used to be younger and i was you know concerned that if i'm booked for summer deliveries you know what am i going to do with the girls there is no mm-hmm. school cool. there is no afternoon mm-hmm. program you know what am i going to do with the girls every time that i started thinking like that the universe somehow heard me and there were no clients mhm mm-hmm. no one was hiring me mhm nowadays i don't have this anymore cuz my kids are grown up were actually just this year became empty nesters oh, wow. and I don't have those thoughts in my head anymore and I I'm fully booked mm-hmm. for the summer <laughs> right there is some higher energy higher presence that mm-hmm. we're serving here you know I saw it also during covid 
I saw how Doulas had some assets to bring to the table when it came to just pushing through fear, pushing through the unknown, accepting that we're vulnerable. I thought, oh my God, doulas are so equipped with that. And I even led a Zoom, you know, asking doulas, hey, this is our time to shine and serve our communities. We have something that we have like a set of skills and strategies that no one else on earth have. Hmm. But doulas, Mm -hmm. because we're doing it all the time. Yeah. I'm not overly familiar with the maternity system in the US, and I imagine that it possibly varies from state to state as well, and and also the way that doulas are received and respected might vary from Mm -hmm. state to state also. Did you find that a lot of doulas were able to continue supporting families in person during COVID, in in your area at least, in California? my area, there was, you know, at the peak, at the very beginning, when everyone was hysterical, we couldn't go into L&D, of course. They they shut L&Ds. I myself had one or two experiences where it was very clear in our prenatal conversations that I'm not going to go into L&D because my client said that they want their partners there. So if, if yeah. you can have only one person, that means the partner, not me. So the decision was, I'm going to come to your home. I'm going to support you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your doula. I'm going to go with you to L&D. And then we're, we'll try to get there as at the last moment as possible, you know, but then the two of you are going to go in, I'm going to stay here. And then at the very last moment, I had this thing of two of my clients just looking at the partner saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I apologize, I need Neri with me. Mm-hmm. I want Neri with me. And the partner said, no, whatever it is you want, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was just going into L&D. The first one, I didn't even know that it was going to happen. So I didn't have any clothes you know, to change, didn't have any food with me, didn't have anything. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought I'm just leaving her there, Mm -hmm. right? And it was so nice. The nurses were taking such good care of me. Mm -hmm. They were feeding me. They um, got me some um, clothes to change. They were so sweet. I was very touched. Mm, That's great. I think um, you're you're saying L and D. So for Australian listeners, I think that's labour and delivery. Yeah, labour and delivery. I'm sorry. Yes. No, that, no need to apologise. In Australia, <laughs> we, don't, we don't really. We just refer to birth suite. Yeah. Once you get to hospital. Yeah, we were restricted yeah. at the very beginning for a long time. I would say we mm-hmm. we were banned. You know, doulas in the United States were banned from labour and delivery for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It was the same here, actually. For I think up until even relatively recently, it it, it may be still that there are some hospitals with restrictions. In Seriously? Place. I'm wow. not sure because I'm not familiar with all of them. I'm obviously only really sort of paying attention to the ones that are relevant to me, but some had very conservative approaches that really went on for a long, long time. So it was really challenging. Luckily for me, I actually got some exemptions and was able to support people as a second support person for several births during the worst part of COVID. They were mostly mm-hmm. women from cultural and linguistically diverse backgrounds. And so I have a particular interest and skill set in that area. And, and we were able to get exemptions, which was great and had some really positive births as well in that time in hospital. I just wanted to circle back a bit. So you talked about before how you were introduced to the world of birth when you were still living in Israel mm-hmm. and it was a calling. 
So I think you mentioned that you were working in academia prior to that. Is that right? I'm just sort of curious. Yeah. What were you doing before that? What was your interest or career path? That you had? My educational background, actually, it's funny. My educational background is in film and television. That was my bachelor degree. And at that time, the department was trying to get more academic accreditation so that they can have money for research. Mm-hmm. So they took a group of students that were more on the theoretical side, more interested in research and study, less in producing films. Mm-hmm. And they just send us to to work on our PhDs in different departments that had different angles, like history department and philosophy and uh, literature. And we were sitting there, but actually researching the movies and the cinema. So I chose a program for cognitive science. So my PhD was supposed to be in cognitive science. Of course, I never submitted my PhD because I, I, my calling was at another place. So I just submitted my master's degree. I took, I took whatever research I studied and I, I told, you know, the professor, no, we have to make it thin. We mm-hmm. have to make it into a master's degree. I need to be out of here. This is not my calling. <laughs> mm, wow. Did you Do you think that there's anything, although your calling was changed, is there anything from that previous area of work that interested you that you've brought into the, the world? Of Absolutely. Business? Absolutely, 100%. Um, I think that the academic background um prepared me to do what I'm doing today in terms of creating programs, because that's what I do. So creating my doula training program, creating the transformational birth support coaching program and leading it and creating all the presentations and the masterclasses and the webinars. I don't think that without the academic training that I had and writing a book, you know, so I published a book. All of this got me to where I am. Everything. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. beautiful. So the transformational birth coaching, I just wanted to touch on for a moment, you shared that you went through a career crisis as a doula after 15 years of practice, which is what led you to reinvent your practice and reignited your passion. It's true. So I'm just interested before we hear about the transformational coaching, could you share a little bit about the crisis that you had in your work as a doula and how you came through it? I'm going to try to talk about it without crying because every time that I talk about it, I start crying. First of all, it, it, it the manifestation of this crisis was that I got pneumonia after supporting a birth that was very traumatic in terms of the amount of abuse that mm-hmm. I was witnessing. Mm-hmm. So it starts with that. I mean, like I definitely can relate, you know, connect this sense of pneumonia and not being able to breathe mm-hmm. with the fact that I couldn't just scream <laughs> what I felt, you know, in the room. It was an extremely traumatic experience for me. The doctor that was in the room was just abusive. That's, that, there's no other way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Every little moment that he had, he was coercing the client and saying things that were unheard of, you know, even when... The client was sitting in the tub and breathing and the lights were dimmed and everything was quiet. And I just gave her partner some time to be with her in privacy, you know, and stepped out of the bathroom because I think doulas should, Mm -hmm. you know, respect those moments. This doctor came in a moment after the husband is going out of the bathroom. 
he's pale as the wall. And I'm like, what happened? And he said, well, the doctor was telling us that if we're going to delay the cord clamping, it could lead to amputation of one of the limbs of our baby. And I was like, what? <sighs> That's unheard of. How did he even get to this crazy idea? I, it was really a terrible experience. And I became sick <laughs> and mm-hmm. spent some time in bed with all that experience. And while I was in bed, I had some soul search around what happened, about how I feel about my profession. You know, when we're in time of crisis, sometimes it's an opening. Mm, not a necessary time for reflection as well. You probably became unwell because of, I imagine, in part because you needed that space to reflect and perhaps you wouldn't have stopped otherwise. I guess. I guess you're right. Yes. A crisis is an opportunity. Mm. every crisis. So I took this time and I realized that for the past two or three years, I've been serving clients, but I was actually very discouraged and I wasn't well. I wasn't at the same place that I was when I started my career, where I was so passionate and so optimistic and so confident. Mm -hmm in what I have to bring to the table, in what I am bringing to the table, in this toolbox that I acquired as a doula in my, and in my ability to change the collective awareness mm-hmm. around childbirth. And all of a sudden I was just, I had to admit to myself that I'm not at that place anymore. And I asked myself, so what has changed? Why am I not in this place? And the, the answer that came was, well, we weren't successful. We had to admit that we weren't successful. We had so many years of childbirth education. We had doulas since the 80s. And I became a doula in the 90s. And now we're already, you know, 15 years after. And C-sections are, oh, my God. Like the rates here in the United States, there were some hospitals with 43% mm. cesarean. Mm-hmm. rates. I w- was more and more challenged at the gap between what my clients were hiring me for, what they told me that they want, and my inability to lead them to the finish line, to lead them to this experience because of all the medical interventions that were on the rise. That was very discouraging. It was mm-hmm. extremely discouraging. I was thinking, well, you know, sometimes I think about it. I didn't really only fell in love with each and every client of mine that I worked with. I also, I think that I fell in love with the profession, mm-hmm. was the presence that we started talking about. So I fell in this. love with the presence, maybe, or the, the, yeah. the higher power or the, yes, the mystery. Yes, presence on earth with what it means in terms of the collective awareness around birth. I fell in love with the profession, with the promise that we can create a change. And I was very discouraged. Mm. We, we, we didn't really do that. We weren't very successful. Uh, we being the doulas at that time. Doulas, Doula, doulas Charbis educators, all of us together, mm. you know, everyone who was in birth support and gave their heart. Mm-hmm. If we had to zoom out and look mm-hmm. at the world and see where did we come, you know, look at the situation, look at our reality. Mm-hmm. I had to do something to rewrite our reality because <laughs> mm. it wasn't working. It's a very um, 
oh, it's a challenging thing to to realise, isn't it, that despite all of the effort and despite all of the knowledge and the mm-hmm. you know the positive and near confidence and and the you know the assertiveness and confidence of our clients, yes. despite so many things, the reality is that for people birthing in the system, there are systemic yes. barriers that remain there, and there's only so much that we can do to support people. Just a little break from our conversation to let you know that I'm currently working on the Savvy Doula, an intensive business program for doulas to help you up-level your business acumen to ensure that your dream work is not just fulfilling your heart's calling, but also sustainable and financially viable for the long term. The Savvy Doula will be launching early in 2024. To express your interest, send me an email at hello at marygiordano.com.au or connect with me on Instagram at marygiordano.com.au And it was also, there was something that we don't talk about enough. I started my career serving the X generation. Mm -hmm. The birth givers that I supported first were the X generation, just like myself. Mm-hmm. In this time, I was already supporting millennials. Mm-hmm. They are very different than mm-hmm. the X generation. That's really interesting. Can you tell us a bit what, what's the, the biggest difference that you noticed? Well, one thing is millennials are relying on technology a lot more than the X generation mm-hmm. on the input that comes from technology. So they were very susceptive, you know, to the input that came from all those tests. They wanted more and more reassurance. They wanted more and more technology. They embraced technology. Mm. So more and more reassurance from external sources rather than, yes. from, you know, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Another thing that I talk to my doula students actually a lot about is that as an X generation, we didn't have, well, we did have hormonal contraceptives but they did not eliminate the period. So like when I started having sex, you know, the pills, the hormonal contraceptives, they had 21 pills. Then -hmm. you had to take a break for a week. Mm -hmm. And in this week, you got your period. Mm -hmm. So you had a monthly practice (laughs) Mm -hmm. for birth. Like your boobs maybe got, you know, big and engorged, you know, kind of like, and you were having cramps, menstrual cramps, and then you experienced yourself bleeding, you had discharge, you know, and bleeding. And so kind of like a monthly preparation. Millennials, they have hormonal contraceptives that totally eliminate the period. Okay. I, I don't didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Right. In the United States, they use contraceptives. I was shocked when I went to uh, the pediatrician with my kid who was 13, 13 years old child. The doctor asked her if she got her period. She said, yes, I got my my period. The doctor said, well, do you have any pains during your period? My daughter said, yes, I have some cramping. And my mom is giving me a hot pack sometimes, you know, and so and so. And she said, well, does it happen that you can't exercise at school, at the gym? My daughter said, yes, when I'm on my period, sometimes it hurts so much that I'd rather skip. And she said, well, you don't have to. I can put you on the pill. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I realized, oh, so many girls are going on hormonal contraceptives that totally eliminate the period. They don't get their period. 
ever. Mm-hmm. I don't have that practice at all. Yeah, that was actually I, I was in a similar story to your daughter, but I'm, I think I'm a different generation. Uh, but I was about twelve, thirteen when the doctor did the same to me, and my mum didn't really know any better and didn't know that it wasn't in my best interest to be on the pill for the following 10 years. And it was something that I, I'm still coming to terms with the implications of that. Mm. But the one that I was on did have seven, I think they're, I don't know if they're just sugar pills or, you know, there were still seven pills to take in that week, but you could skip them if you wanted to skip the period. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. you did get your period. If I didn't skip them, so if I let the week pass, but if I wanted to skip it, oh gosh, I can't even remember now, I think, because I stopped taking them a long time ago. <laughs> if I just skipped that week and kept going with the next cycle, then I wouldn't have gotten yeah. the period. Which, yeah. yeah. Well, anyhow, it's just, you know, with all this introspection, you know, I was actually reading a lot because I was trying to understand what happened. How did it happen? How did it happen that, <laughs> that there was so much more knowledge, first of all, because of technology, because of the internet, there was so much more knowledge out there for expecting individuals to be knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. There was like so much knowledge out there. They mm-hmm. have Dr. Google, Dr. YouTube, and Dr. Facebook. <laughs> so, so much knowledge and so many different providers. Birth doula, postpartum doula, Charis educator, they're prenatal yoga teachers. You know, they have good support system with professionals. Nevertheless, an increase, a huge increase in interventions and in experiences that are not so healthy. I think that the listening to mother survey in California from 2018, that was, whoa, you know, it showed that 75% of all birth givers in California agree that births should not be interfered with unless necessary. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Yeah. But only 5% of them give birth not having a major intervention. So we're not talking just Mm -hmm. putting an IV in, we're talking major intervention. Mm -hmm. Only 5% of women in California? Only 5%. So this gap between their understanding and what they know Mm -hmm. and what they believe and what actually happens in their reality, that's a big gap, right? It's a huge gap. I don't know what the stats are here for that in terms of what yeah. the, the belief is of, of, you know, people being supposed, you know, be able to have normal intervention-free births and, you know, the actual statistics around intervention. But it's, yeah, there's a big disparity there as well, I'm sure. Do you experience it in your practice, in your own practice? I'm just thinking about that. I support probably half and half home and hospital births currently. And with the hospital births, I'm just thinking, I've just had two super, super positive hospital births in the last week, which mm. has been quite unusual. Like a mum had a water birth after cesarean last wow. morning after four days of ruptured membranes. And then another mum, that was a second time mum, and then a first time mum had a, a normal, rapid, positive, beautiful intervention free birth after six days of ruptured membranes, which was also highly unusual. And wow. they did both come to face with some um, pressure from the hospital and some fear-mongering and so forth, but they were both so informed and and steadfast in their beliefs and wishes that they pushed through that and they had incredible determination and still got really good births. But I do see a lot of instances where women don't get the births that they want. So I do see a lot of people birthing in hospital as well who I've sort of come to believe that to a degree in hospital there are things that we we need to understand if we're choosing to birth in a hospital environment, whether that is because we feel we have no options 
or not, whether that may be just that we choose it to be what I've learned in my five years of practice, which is not, not as long as you've been in this industry, but I'm very forthcoming and honest now. And I don't tell people that I can protect them from the system because mm. I don't believe that I can, but, and also I'm not, I'm not attached to the outcome of people's births, but I'm really big on them sort of taking full responsibility if they choose to go into the system, that they are responsible mm. for that. They are responsible mm. for their own advocacy and their own determination and their own education. And I think, unfortunately, there's a pretty big piece there that's luck. I feel like this luck plays a significant role in the way that births play out. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the births that I support in hospital, I think, are generally positive experiences for the people that I support, irrespective of the outcome. But certainly there are just instances where, yeah, I don't think the gap is so huge in the people that I support in terms of preparing for hospital birth and actually having a birth that's somewhere along the lines of what they want. But they are mm -hmm. people who are quite well supported because I'm there, you know, or anyone yes. a doula is quite well supported, but it's still a small fraction of the population that are being supported in that way. And so I'm not, right. I'm not seeing the women who aren't being supported by a doula. So I'm not really sure what's happening in the room next door. But the way that yes. I see doctors interacting with my clients who are very well informed, I realise if they, you know, if they're speaking to mums and families who are not that well informed, it would be just so easy to completely railroad their experience and, and, yes. and sabotage it. So, yeah, obviously huge systemic problems in I think all of the developed world and, and elsewhere around birthing in public and, and even private hospital maternity systems. So your crisis led you to switching your focus from supporting families to supporting fellow doulas and developing your transformational birth coaching. Is that what it is? Maybe you can just tell us a, a bit about that. Yes. Well, first of all, <laughs> this crisis led me to the idea that I'm done, I'm quitting, I'm changing career. Mm -hmm. It is not for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I also had my third baby, actually. And I was also co-directing a birth resource center here in Palo Alto. So it was it was a good time to wrap up this chapter of co-directing the center for two years. And then stepping back a little bit from taking birth, I already did that and served very little clients because... I had my third baby and I decided I'm going back to studying. Uh -huh. So the first thing was I enrolled in a year-long program to become a transformational life coach. Mm -hmm. I also, during this year, enrolled in another program while not even finishing this. I, I became very curious about ways in which we can take a detour and help people to reprogram the way they think about things so that we're not going to experience those barriers to people, you know, limiting beliefs, success blockers. How can we go around them to help people mm -hmm. rewrite their reality? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I became very curious, you know. So I started transformational coaching. I started to become an NLP practitioner and a hypnotherapist. And I had a very good rapport, you know, and, and felt like a close bond with Dr. Rosie Kuhn, who was the head of the transformational coaching program. And a few times she felt that I was in agony, <laughs> criticizing myself, reflecting on my work as a doula, regretting not having better strategies. Mm -hmm. And she said, look, Neri, 
everybody is doing the best with the resources available for them. I'm sure you did the best. And it's not going to help you much to look back and think, oh my God, if I only did this, if I only did that. I mean, this is not serving you. You're just coming really hard on yourself. I don't see a lot of growth in this. It's not a process of growth. So what I would like you to do is try to make this process a growing process and not something that puts you down and full of regret and pain about things that happened in the past. And I wasn't aware that this is what I was doing, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good to have a coach that notices things and can mm-hmm. just project, you know, and reflect and helps you realize what you're doing. And then when I realized that she said, why don't we make it into a growing process? You know, I would like you to take notes every time that you think, you know, you might have done things differently. If you just had those transformational coaching strategies, I would like you to just sit down and write, how would you do things differently? Mm-hmm. Instead of looking backward, let's just sit down and write it. Mm-hmm. How are you going to do things differently now that you have those transformational coaching strategies? How would you lead a transformative conversation with a client now that you have this around different topics instead of just beating yourself? Make it into a growing process. And I took her advice and I started writing lots and lots of writing around all sort of common challenges that we doulas encounter when we work with our expectant individuals and postpartum clients and all sort of common challenges that they go through. And I started just writing, you know, if I, what kind of transformative conversation I, I can help lead around this that will actually lead to the transformation. So what I realized was that I was engaging in lots of conversations with my clients before, but those conversations were very informational mm-hmm. rather than transformational. Mm-hmm. So an informational coaching is creating an increase of knowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. But a transformational conversation is leading a change of behavior, a mm-hmm. change of perspective, a call to action, accountability, an increase in accountability, increase in level of performance. So it's different process. Mm -hmm. And I started just writing down and it became a book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So all those writings that I did throughout this year, you know, and she said, I'm going to accept this as your final paper for your program. And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. So I invested even more in this and took the models, the coaching models and integrated them into our work. And it became a book. And then I thought, well, now it's time for me to train doulas. Mm-hmm. I want to train doulas that will work with those skills. Because here's the thing, what I discovered in my own, so it's almost like I wanted to go out of the field, but I was so passionate about supporting birth giver that this growing process got me right back mm-hmm. to birth support. Mm-hmm. Full circle. And just reignited my passion. Mm. And here's what I realized. It was so incredible. I didn't even know what was going to happen, but I invested 
the time. Yes, it took more hours. So it wasn't just like two prenatal sessions with a client. It was more time spending with them around this transformational process as they're preparing for the birth. But it was so worthy of it because the time that I spent with them actually in labor and delivery was 30% of what you know, average was 30% of what I used to Mm -hmm. deal with it. So there was a reduction of about 70% of the time. Mm -hmm. And actually I had some clients giving birth without me Mm -hmm. being so well prepared, calling me at the last moment. I was shocked to discover Mm -hmm. that. That was not what I was aiming for, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but this process ended up with me shifting and transitioning to spending a lot more time prenatally with clients, making sure that their mindset is different, that they're very well prepared in terms of their mindset, their concept, their knowledge about themselves, removing their success blockers. And then boom, the births were so much more healthy and so much more faster. And then I realized, you know what? I think that I found something. I I really think that I'm onto something and I really want to give this new approach to doulas. And so first I became a doula trainer and started training doulas here in the Bay Area. And then it was time for me to say, well, I felt like, okay, so I'm training doulas in this way, but what about all the other doulas (laughs) (laughs) that didn't come through my program? Mm -hmm. What if they're also interested in integrating transformational coaching exercise and approaches that I, and, and strategies that I keep developing? What if they're also interested? And so I started, you know, just going online on Facebook and with some webinars here and masterclasses there and just inviting, you know, do this Traverse educators to just come and get to see what it is. Mm-hmm. So do you prim- primarily work online now in, in the coaching or supporting other doulas? Are you still- yeah, I'm doing a lot of online classes. Well, it helped that COVID kicked in. Mm-hmm. So everybody went online. Mm-hmm. Changed people's perspective and understanding about accessing education and yes. support online. Yeah. yeah. So I actually have students in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Dubai, Qatar, Iceland, Mm. Japan. (laughs) Wonderful. It's really interesting what you describe about the transformational coaching. I have a similar approach in my work and I didn't know that that's what it was called. I actually did some training with Birthing from Within to become a childbirth educator a few years ago. And I think that's perhaps when, Mm -hmm. I think it was probably only the second year into my work where I stopped turning up to my sessions and my relationships with clients in a role that I saw of you know providing information and and I wasn't doing that yes. I don't really do that I actually don't get a lot of satisfaction or, or joy out of that because they can mm-hmm. have a book and read if they want information and it's redundant nowadays when they have as I said Dr Google Dr Facebook and Dr YouTube mm-hmm. you know yeah so I do a lot of work as well that's I always say birth is life and life is birth and it's about like it's it's really transformational work that I do with people as well and it's very very powerful and impactful and sometimes in my prenatal sessions, I, we might not talk about birth at all. I might spend all of my prenatal sessions with a family and barely touch the topic of birth. Much more common for that to be the case if they're birthing at home than yeah. birthing in the hospital. But that may not be what's presenting as what they mm-hmm. that they need to work through at that time. So, yeah, I find that it's really interesting to hear that because I have a similar approach, but I've never 
sort of thought of a name for it or anything like that. And yeah, so perhaps you can just let us know as we finish up where you're going from here. So you've talked about your background and how you came to this work when you were still in Israel and then you've moved to the US and through this crisis sort of reinvented mm-hmm. yourself. So you're currently supporting students in different parts of the world with this trans- transformational birth coaching. Where to mm-hmm. from here? Where is your sort of business heading or what does the future look like for you? Mm, yeah, well, <laughs> I do have a new project sitting right now cooking. So I think the next, I would like to recruit doula trainers anywhere, you know, like experienced doulas, seasoned doulas who's been in the field for quite some time, and they feel ready to be their legacy. Mm -hmm. And I would like to try and recruit them to become doula trainers that will work within the new framework and train within this new framework of birth coach method. Mm -hmm. So that it's not going to be only a continuing education, but that you will actually begin right from the beginning, from the get-go, you know, Mm -hmm. with this type of approach. Yeah. Begin your doula career like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So equipping people right from the start of their doula career to have a more impactful way of supporting families really that's exactly my word Mm. that's exactly be more impactful make a difference in someone's lives you know exactly so just to finish up what's the name of your book neri the art of coaching for childbirth Mm. i have a copy here the art of coaching for childbirth beautiful so i will share obviously in the show notes the links to your website and, and other things so thank you so much for chatting with me lovely it was such a pleasure talking to you i feel like i can continue for hours yes that feels like <laughs> that and I'll, I'll yeah i'll share information of how listeners can learn more about thank you, you. Um, so thank you so much thank you for the opportunity it was a pleasure I hope you enjoyed this conversation today with me chatting with Neri of her diverse journey into the world of birth in Israel and how that's taken her to the United States and through a crisis in her career has led her to pivot to supporting doulas and to continue now moving towards supporting doula trainers in the future. It was a really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening as well. And thank you for being on the Whole Doula podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Whole Dollar Podcast with Mary Giordano. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation today. If so, please hit subscribe and consider leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Have a beautiful day.